0: And welcome, everybody, to another off-season edition of the Assembly Call. Uh, this is Andy Bottoms. I'll be hosting tonight because uh, while Ryan likes to give me a hard time about missing these shows for my kids' sporting events and, and other things like that, Jared has missed the show for the birth of his child. So he's up the ante uh, on all of us for reasons to uh, to not be here. So uh, we're all anxiously awaiting the news Uh of uh, Jared and Heather's new little one that uh, should be here soon so definitely we wish him the best I'm sure he'll uh, he'll have plenty of time where he's not sleeping to listen to this in the coming days uh, as we go through it but uh, without Jared uh, we do have Will DeWitt here with us uh, as usual Ryan Phillips uh, could not be here at the last minute either at the uh, a medical situation there so uh, all, of, all of our best to his dad Dr. Phillips uh, hopefully he's uh, he's getting better as well and so even though Podcast on the Brink is taking a brief hiatus, we decided we would not let Alex Bozic off quite that easy, and so he's uh, here to join us tonight. Uh, we're going to talk, uh, in large part, just a, a quick early look at the Big Ten, uh, how that's shaping up. At this point, rosters should be uh, largely finalized. You know, The draft decisions and, and all that is, is far past. A few late transfers will surely trickle in here and there, but... Uh, at this point, I think we've got a pretty good idea of what the rosters are going to look like, so we'll take a quick look at that. Uh, I saw some, some folks posted a Bleacher Report article from, I think it was yesterday, that uh, kind of broke down the Big Ten, so we'll take it in a, a similar order. I think my order is is slightly different, but we'll kind of talk through uh, a couple IU topics quickly to start and then uh, delve into the rest of the Big Ten as we try to... Work our way through the off season. So, uh, with that, we would normally start with the banner moment. Uh, I don't know that there's anything here that uh, about what I'm about to say that speaks to IU hanging a six banner, but certainly the birth of, uh, of one's first child is a banner moment in in anyone's life, as uh, Alex and I can attest. I'm sure. And so, uh, you know, congrats again to Jared and Heather, and and we'll look forward to having him back on the show. Hopefully, in a couple weeks, we'll see if he's uh, he's bleary-eyed and, uh, and, and awake by the time we do the show here in, in two weeks, but uh, definitely best of luck to them. Uh, Will, anything uh, anything for you to add? I know your summer is kind of wrapping up a little bit before classes start
1: here in Bloomington. What's, the, uh, what's going on with you? Hey, you know, not too much. Uh, just came back. I worked the Indiana High School Journalism Institute for the past two and a half weeks shaping the young journalists' minds for, you know, Indiana. Pretty much, it's pretty much like a recruiting tool but for, like, journalists, which is pretty cool. But I got a tour of the new media school at Franklin Hall. Really cool stuff in there. I mean, the technology is just, like, mind-boggling, to say the least. But, yeah, summer's going well, you know, between working on Assembly Call and the Bears Brothers, staying busy. But class starts in a month. Not really looking forward to it. I'm, senioritis is already kind of uh, setting in. If That's even a thing in college. I just remember that from high school. But uh, definitely setting in. Uh, just kind of ready to graduate by now, but I'm excited for another school year, to say the least.
0: I would urge you to cling to those days in college as long as you possibly can, so uh, and enjoy it. Uh, Alex, how about you? How's your uh, how's the the off season? Although covering IU basketball, I don't know that there's a true off season, but uh, at least the non-playing season going for you.
2: Yeah, it's going pretty well. Thanks, uh, guys, for having me. I always. Uh... Make it a habit to check the show out, so I appreciate the opportunity to join. Uh, you know, looking forward to the season actually getting started, though, you know, having some actual basketball to write about rather than just kind of guessing how things are going to play out here, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Also getting looking forward to uh, getting a chance to check out the Assembly Hall renovations when that's all done, um, although, you know, that's not expected to, to be all completed here until uh, a little bit further into the fall, but... All in all, it's been a good off season, good quiet off season as far as the uh, off court news. So can't complain about that either.
0: All right. Well, let's kind of jump in with a, a IU topic or two here first. We'll um, maybe touch on their schedule a little bit as we, uh, you know, get into the the Big Ten piece of things. But uh, you know, Jared brought this up when we were talking about topics. and I think it's it's a good one. You know, we've spent a, a good part of the off season talking about. Um, the newcomers, uh, you know, inclusive of Josh Newkirk and and the sophomores to be, uh, with Thomas and, and OG and Juwan, but you know, three of the guys who are going to be really important to this team are the you know the, the veterans, if you will, the Colin Hartman, uh, Robert Johnson, and uh, James Blackman Jr. trio there. So, uh, you know, I think it's probably important we talk a little bit about what their roles are going to be. But I guess first, let's talk health. Each of those three guys is coming off of some type of off season surgery. Uh, Alex, what, if any, uh, you know, things have you heard about how each of their recoveries is going so far?
2: Well, Hartman didn't have surgery, just as you know, had the cast, so he's going to, I assume, be 100% by the start of practice. Uh, I believe he's been doing everyth- mostly everything in the off-season workouts. Robert Johnson, uh, to my knowledge, has been a little bit slower as far as the recovery with his injury uh, was a little bit more significant. and and that he had to have surgery, and also James Blackman Jr., who I've heard is progressing really well, but they're taking things slow uh, with him just because there's no reason uh, in July to push things too far when, when you're really four months away from playing a meaningful game. But uh, to my knowledge, from people that have seen off-season workouts, uh, the expectation is that all three are looking uh, like they're trending in the right direction, and uh, should be available for the start of practice, so not anticipating any uh, lingering injury issues uh, going into the season, which uh, will be a nice thing for Indiana to have.
1: Well, I, Andy, I think you're still muted. Real quick, uh, but I could go ahead and go real quick. I have a question. Yeah, not, not I am. Go you're ahead. Good? You're good. Okay, I'll ask real quick. All right. So I recently read an article. I think it was from ESPN about a week ago, and they talk about like the most clutch players on each of the you know top 25 teams. And they had JBJ down for the most clutch player on our team, and the guy you want taking that last second shot. I want to know: Do you agree with that? Do you think is he the guy on this roster who you want with the ball in your hands, like with ten seconds to go?
2: I would have to say Thomas Bryant, just given how efficient he was last year and his ability to draw fouls. Uh, obviously, if you need a three point shot, you're not going to go to him. Um, but but I would say Bryant, based on everything I saw last season. Uh, as being the most important player uh, for Indiana uh, and also the most clutch player going into the season. So I, I think it's going to be huge um, for to see how Blackman is um, in, as far as his health and his defense this year. Uh, he's going to be a, arguably maybe I use leading scorer going into the season, but I don't necessarily agree with calling him the most clutch player considering he didn't uh, play any conference game last year.
0: Yeah, when we talk about, you know, roles, Hartman is the, you know, the lone senior on the roster. Um, do, do you see his role expanding much from what he provided uh, last year? He's been asked to do a few different things over these last couple of seasons. I mean, what what kind of role do you see him selling into based on the other personnel on this year's team?
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting with him. I think he's a guy that really needs to have a kind of a bounce back year from a three-point shooting perspective. You know, one of the things I wrote about today when I looked at kind of like Thomas Bryant's efficiency was now, if you look at uh, last season, um, one of the reasons you know he was able to be so efficient was he had you know Troy Williams next to him playing the floor, a guy that could give him space. Um, this year, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities still for Bryant to have uh, you know space on the floor, but Hartman's got to be a guy that can, if he's going to play the floor at all, which I think he will sometimes, is going to be able to have to make three point shots. And last year, he wasn't as good uh, in that regard. As far as his on-court leadership role, I feel like he's always been a guy who's been a pretty solid leader on the court, maybe not vocal leader, but as far as fundamentals and kind of directing guys where to be and and kind of just just playing the game the right way, playing smart, uh, he's always kind of led by example in that regard. So I don't really think there's going to be a huge adjustment for him, but as far as the on-court vocal leader stuff, I think this is going to be really Thomas Bryant's team as far as getting guys kind of in line on the court, you know, I think he did some of that a little bit last year, and even though there are some other upperclassmen um, on the team, you know, with Yogi being gone, you know, I feel like Bryant really has a chance to step up into that role, and when you're the team's best player, um, you kind of lead by example, and I I think it's going to be a huge opportunity in that regard for Bryant to do that, but, you know, I do think Hartman is a guy that's well respected by his teammates, and he will, uh, you know, you know, Indiana doesn't have official captains, but he's going to be one of the quote-unquote leaders of this team, I feel like.
0: And then shifting to to Rojo and uh, and James Blackman Jr., you know, obviously the I think the biggest question this year is, you know, how does IU uh, via committee replace what Yogi brought? You know, where do you see those two fitting in in terms of, you know, wh- are there certain portions of what Yogi brought to the team that you think one, you know, let's say, ball handling, you know, does it become a 75-25 split between those guys? Or or how do you see some of those things that Yogi brought, you know, shaking out between the two of them who are going to be, who are certainly the most experienced and and will be asked to take on a lot of what Yogi did, even if it's, you know, maybe asking two guys to fill the role of one?
2: Yeah, one of them's got to prove that they can be a primary ball handler. I don't think either one has to this point. You know, I think Robert Johnson probably has the best chance to do it, but he's been a little bit too turnover prone his first two years. If neither one of those guys proves that they can do it, I think it's there's going to be a strong chance that you're going to see Josh Newkirk take on a bigger role in the backcourt and maybe start alongside those two guys in kind of a three guard set. So I think the biggest thing for Blackman is obviously the defense. You know, we've I'm sure you guys have talked about that for months and months, going back to the Duke game and then throughout the conference season. Uh, we'll see how he kind of responds to being criticized in the off season and. You know, is is he going to come and embrace that? Uh, I think he will. Uh, Robert Johnson, you know, he's coming back from a, a pretty significant injury. But, you know, he's got to really prove that, like I said, he can be more decisive um, on the floor. I feel like a lot of times his first couple of years, you know, with Yogi out there too, he kind of got stuck between, do I try to set other guys up, or do I just kind of take on more of a scoring role? I think his role will be a little bit more defined this year. He's going to have a little bit more freedom to make plays for himself and his teammates, but if he's going to be IU's primary point guard or primary ball handler, he's going to have to have his turnovers, I think, come down quite a bit. Otherwise, I think you'll see a lot more Josh Newkirk handling the ball.
0: All right, and the other thing that has started to take shape a little bit more is the uh, is the schedule for this year. We'll, we'll talk the Big Ten schedule when we get into that section of the show, but as far as the non-conference schedule, a bit more of that was revealed this week. I know you wrote a post on it. It uh, feels a little bit, from my perspective, like it's kind of a, a feast or famine uh, where you've either got some teams that are really good, so the Kansases and Butlers, uh, North Carolina, those kinds of teams that we know are on the schedule, and then a lot of the you know Mississippi Valley State's kind of you know low-end teams. Uh, just kind of give people a brief, uh, if they haven't read, you know, what you put together, a brief overview of what we know so far and and what's yet to be announced.
2: Yeah, it's it's like you said, feast or famine. I mean, the the high points are obviously the home game with North Carolina, which is going to be obviously an incredible atmosphere. You got the Louisville game and at Bankers Life on New Year's Eve, which should be another great game. Butler at Bankers Life Fieldhouse in the Crossroads Classic, and then. What's up, Kansas, the Armed Force Classic on Veterans Day to kind of open the season. Those are really the the high points. And you've also got the IPFW game, which which should be pretty solid up in Fort Wayne, a good chance for, for fans in that part of the state to get a chance to watch Indiana play. But after that, like you said, it's really kind of bottom of the barrel in terms of the opponents. I mean, Southeast Missouri State, you know, sub-300 team. UMass Lowell, I think, is pretty low as well. Mississippi Valley State and Liberty. I mean, those are kind of the nine that we know at this point. I think there's going to be four more, and if I'm guessing what the other four are going to be, uh, it's going to be more towards the uh, lower end teams than the higher end. Uh, you know, usually what we've seen in the past is four or five pretty good non-conference games, and the rest kind of fill out your home schedule. Uh, that's unfortunately. I think the nature of the beast in college basketball right now is these guarantee games in every program. You know, I know a lot of IU fans like to grumble and complain and, you know, I don't blame them if you're paying that much for season tickets and you've got eight or nine games that are just absolute pretty much exhibitions where the other team's going to get run off the floor. Um, You know, it's, it's a lot to ask somebody to pay 30, 40 bucks a, a pop and parking and the time to go watch that. But, you know, these, these, Programs have to schedule home dates, essentially. Uh, they're buying uh, the other team to come there, You know, paying them a certain amount of money with no guarantee of a return game to their venue. So you know, I think the the rest of the schedule, unless they're barring un, some unforeseen uh, development that we haven't heard, which uh, this late in the summer, I wouldn't expect it to be any marquee opponent. That's pretty much going to be the meat of the schedule is those four or five games being really good and then everything else uh, kind of being towards the bottom. I think if there's one valid complaint there, um, you know, I would like to see maybe more games like in the 150 to 200 range, maybe some in-state teams, maybe some teams more in the Midwest, this part of the country. I mean, there's just no natural draw for, you know, fans to want to see Mississippi Valley State or UMass Lowell or um, who's in it, Liberty. Some, you know, some of these programs are just there's just nobody to get excited about. Maybe if you had some teams maybe uh, from the Midwest or even Bordering states where teams kinda where, where fans kinda had a least bit of a little bit of familiarity with the programs they could generate a little bit of excitement and obviously you don't like to see the the uh, teams with the the RPI over 300 because it just does really nothing from your pro for your profile as you know as you know uh, I
0: Yep. Well, I mean, I guess that's a good a good segue. Zane. Well, one one quick thing to kind of touch on on there, uh, the college basketball talk podcast that uh, Rob Doster does, um, and I think uh, Raphael Johnson was on with him this this last time. I think they had one come out recently. They talked a lot about um, some of the non conference scheduling issues some of these schools face. Talk a little bit about some of the you know financial aspect that that you referenced, Alex. I think that's kind of a good listen, people. You know, I, I agree uh, with the frustration of what what people are paying for tickets. It does give some view into it. I, I'm I fall in your camp though of like you could probably do a little bit better and still get winnable games that uh, you know that aren't gonna gonna hurt you in the end. But uh, you know, probably a good a segue as any to our uh, to our sponsor for tonight, which is SeatGeek. So obviously, a little bit early to start thinking about basketball tickets, but uh, football season is quickly closing in. Uh, Places, uh, certainly Cincinnati is not one of them, but pennant races are starting to heat up in, in baseball. Concert season's still got a little bit of ways to go. And so uh, if you're looking for tickets, we would certainly recommend everybody check out SeatGeek. Uh, we've talked about this before. I know Jared and I have both uh, you know, had positive experiences and shared those with everybody. Uh, really takes some of the confusion out of the, the ticket buying process. Straightforward pricing, you understand what you're going to get uh, the minute you look at the tickets. And it, it has a deal rater that lets you understand... You know, for that venue, for that game, are you getting a good deal? Are you getting the most for your money? And so they do those price comparisons, pull everything together, and give you a chance to get the tickets uh, you want uh, at a good price. So, if you want to take advantage of the deal uh, that we can get here, get you through the assembly call, uh, just go to the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and add a promo code, and then enter the promo code Assembly. And after you make your first purchase, SeatGeek will send you twenty dollars uh, as a as a reward to you for doing that. Also helps the show out and again, uh, you know, something that we, we really uh, support and believe in and uh, the product that SeatGeek has and, and how easy they make it for everybody to buy tickets. So as the summer comes to a close and you're looking for tickets for any of the uh, sporting events or concerts uh, that are coming up, make sure you use SeatGeek and use the promo code ASSEMBLY. So with that, we will dive into the Big Ten. And I did this uh, kind of, I, I tried to tear the teams out a little bit as best, uh, as best I could and where I thought they fit in. Uh, there was a Bleacher Report article I think I referenced earlier that came out uh, yesterday, I believe, um, I think it did some similar tiering. I probably have a couple extra that maybe I don't need, but kind of group these teams together and, and touch on, you know, in some cases more than one question, but at least one question that we, you know, that we think is is pertinent for each team. So, what better place to start than Rutgers, uh, which, as I said before we started, is really going to drive the the downloads of this one. Uh, Alex asked in the chat if there was a separate Rutgers tier. I've chosen to uh, to put them in with others, uh, and we'll we'll see how it goes. So, uh. You know, they're the only team in the league that has a new coach. I don't really count Greg Gard in that, although he has become the permanent coach. So they've got uh, Steve Pikell from uh, Stony Brook, who had a a good season there. got them to the tournament. Uh, But they don't have – well, they do have four guys who come back that that averaged in double figures last year, one of them in in limited action. Um, They don't have anybody that has an offensive rating over 100 uh, that's returning from the team. So I guess the best question is, is there any reason to believe – that they don't finish
1: last in the
2: league again this year. Will, do you want to take that, or do you want me to chime in?
1: I mean, I can take that. I can say no, and then yeah, we can yeah. move on, right?
2: <laughs> there you go. We'll <laughs> say no. No, I, th- I think here's the only thing I'll say about Rutgers. I think Corey Sanders is fun to watch sometimes. Uh, that's about really the only reason to watch a Rutgers game at this point, or if they're playing Indiana from an IE fan perspective. But that's... Uh, that's going to be a long, uh, long road ahead for Steve. Pike. I hope he's, I hope he's being compensated well. We'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah, they, they've got, they do have a few guys there. Just the depth and the overall talent level isn't there. I know you did a piece, uh, I think it was yesterday, on recruiting and incoming classes, and they just, you know, they've got some guys coming in, but they don't rank very high, and they just need so much help. It's not really a, a great place to start. So we'll quickly move on to Minnesota, which, um, I think the range of outcomes for them is pretty wide. Uh, there's a couple teams like this. I'd say that there probably are. I think from a talent perspective, they've got a lot of newcomers. Uh, in some cases, that uh, you know could be good. So they've got some transfers. Uh, they've got Amir Coffee, who's one of the guys uh, you highlighted. I think it was last week on on a list of five impact newcomers in the league. So they've got a lot of new pieces to fit together. Uh, Nate Mason is still there. Uh, Jordan Murphy played pretty well last year. So they've got a couple guys there. Um, but Patino's on the hot seat, and and you know he's 16 and 38 in league play over the last three years. So um, I think he's on the hot seat, rightfully so, for that. There's some off-court issues, particularly with, uh, I think, Reggie Lynch. I know Lynch is the last name, um, transfer from uh, Illinois State. So his status for this season is, is up in the air. Um, how do you – I guess talk a little bit about Amir Coffee? Kind of what made you select him, and, and how do you think he fits in uh, among all those other new pieces in, in Minnesota?
2: Well, my basis for including him was basically – you know, Minnesota does not have a lot of elite, top-level talent, so anytime they bring in a player who's a consensus top-50 player, that that is automatically going to raise some eyebrows from, you know, just the standpoint of this isn't a player that typically goes to Minnesota. I Amir mean, Coffey's from Minnesota, though. Uh, Richard Petino was able to sell him on probably the fact of staying home and also uh, the playing time that he could offer him right away. So... I would expect, um, just reasonably thinking about this, that if Richard Pitino wants to keep his job beyond this year, even if they're not going to win a lot of games this year, you play young guys, uh, and he brought in a pretty solid recruiting class. So you play these young guys, and you try to sell people on, you know, one more year. I think his buyout's pretty substantial too. So there, it's no guarantee that he's gone after this season. Amir Coffey is a six-seven wing guy that can really score and shoot. Uh, he's based on the opportunity that he's going to have, he's going to be able to put up some numbers. Will he be efficient right away with kind of the talent that's around him? I'm not necessarily sure on that. I think Minnesota's still got some problems as far as their big guy situation. Lynch was going to be a big part of that, but the off-court off problems are kind of still lingering there. Uh, if he can't play, I think that's a pretty significant loss. But But Minnesota did upgrade. I feel like overall their talent level, will that translate into significantly more Big Ten wins? I don't necessarily believe so, but I think they're going to be better than they were last year, which was pretty bad.
0: That is that is a fair assessment, I would say. Uh, Nebraska's the other team I had in this, this lower tier, and a lot of that has to do with the late transfer of Andrew White. They were already losing Siobhan Shields, and so without those two guys, they've only got two guys back that scored over five points a game last year. Um, with White leaving so late, there really wasn't a way to... You know, recruit for anybody to replace him. I think they signed a Juco guy uh, it, to fill his scholarship, but they seem poised to take a pretty big step back, uh, and I think that Bleacher Report piece even picked them to finish last. Um, y- you know, Do you see anybody on that roster that can pick up some of that scoring slack, or are they, are they just going to be in a world of hurt this year?
2: Yeah, I was actually, when I did my off-season power rankings uh, back in late, May after the NBA draft deadline at the time, Andrew White was coming back or we thought he was coming back to Nebraska. I was actually a little higher on them than a lot of people. I had him eighth. I thought Andrew White was going to be an all-Big Ten type player next year. And, you know, I liked the fact that they were adding Anton Gill, who's an athletic guard who transferred from Louisville, former top 50 recruit, maybe with a change of scenery and better, you know, a better situation for him in Lincoln. He would be another guy that they would have on the perimeter that can score. Now, as you mentioned, they lose their best player, uh, undoubtedly, in white. I think, you know, I, I don't know that I would pick them to finish 12th, but I would definitely have them in my bottom four or five at this point. They do have some young, nice players. You know, I think Glenn Watson's, you know, a promising young point guard. Uh, their two front court players, Jack McVeigh and Michael Jacobson, showed some, you know, some promise at times last year, but but without White, that's a pretty big piece of production to, to replace this late in the game and you know, I definitely do see them kind of in that bottom tier of the Big Ten at this point based on his departure.
0: Alright, so kinda of move to my my next tier. Um, I don't know if I, I have a great order for these teams, but I will do Northwestern first. Um, so you know the tournament drought continued last year uh, I think people had high hopes coming in. They lost Vic Law before the season. So now, much to the delight of IU fans, Trey Demps is finally gone. Uh, Alex Ola is gone. Um, but Law is back from injury. And so they've got a decent core of guys there. Um, but when you really look at the things that they did um, from an efficiency standpoint, I think Demps and Ola were a pretty big part of those. Um, you know, Demps had a really low turnover rate. Ola was good on the glass. You know, shot shot two as well. Um, so it's hard to try to figure out, um, you know, how they overcome that. You know, Will, what are what are your thoughts on Northwestern as we head into this year?
1: Uh, you know, obviously, I mean, I think they're going to have a tough time replacing both Demps and Ola right now. I mean, Law can only do so much, but that could just be me. Um, Alex, what do you think? I really think they are going to have a tough time this season.
2: Yeah, the, the biggest thing for me isn't Demps, it's Ola. Who's their big man? I mean, they got Derek Pardon, uh, who's... Had like what a couple of good games when he took the red shirt off last year, and then kind of faded. Uh, they got a, a freshman Barrett Benson, who I saw quite a bit on the AAU circuit. That can play a little bit. Uh, I think his, I think his dad played at Purdue, um, so he's got some, you know, he he's got some talent. He's a top one hundred and fifty recruit, but you know, there's some really good big men in the Big Ten, and Alex Ola. Uh, I feel like was a little bit underrated. You know, he wasn't a great athlete. He wasn't explosive, but he could score in a variety of ways. He, he could at least, you know, assert himself a little bit in the paint. Uh, I think their backcourt situation is actually going to be uh, pretty good with, with, with Bryant McIntosh, who I like quite a bit. You know, I, th- I think Vic Law has got a chance to be a really good wing player. I don't know that this is the year that Northwestern uh, makes the tournament, but I actually do think that uh, they've – Improve their overall talent level. They've got a couple of, like I said, nice top 150 recruits. Uh, they, they did lose dimps and Ola, but they really never won anything with those guys either. I mean, they were just kind of middle of the road with those two guys. So, so maybe you know, kind of adding Law and, and Bryant McIntosh being a year older kind of gives Northwestern a chance to make a little bit of a jump. I, I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put it totally out of the question.
0: All right, let's talk Penn State. Uh, they lose Brandon Taylor, who led them in scoring and rebounding, but they had a really good recruiting class. I think they're around, I think at the two four seven rankings, I think they're around thirtieth or so. Uh, a couple guys that were on the IU radar uh, at least for some period of time, and Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens, and they've got six guys back who played double-digit minutes last year. Now, not a lot of those guys scored very well, um, and, and that's you know how 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 much do you think those freshmen can elevate what Penn State's doing and uh are they potentially they feel kind of like people talking about them now the way that we talked about Northwestern a little bit before last season but you know do you think that's realistic uh that uh, it, you know those guys can really kind of elevate them uh, a, a decent amount above where they were last year
2: yeah they still don't have Good shooting overall. You know, Tony, Tony Carr is a really good point guard who I saw quite a bit on the, on the AU trail, a former IU target. I think a top 50, top 60-ish guy. He should be pretty good. But, but, but they have they already have Shep Garner in, in the backcourt, so that's going to be interesting to kind of see how that works. Lamar Stevens is the freshman that they're adding who is kind of an undersized four-man, but plays really hard, really physical and aggressive. I think he'll get on the court right away. And they've got another kid by the name of Watkins, I believe, who sat out last year due to academic problems. That was also a top 100 recruit. So that that's a pretty substantial upgrade in talent. You know, with them, I kind of look at you know they lost Brandon Taylor, but if you look at Brandon Taylor, he wasn't necessarily an efficient player or a guy that would have been your best player on a regular year he's like a good third or fourth player if you're a pretty good team Uh, he was Penn State's best player last year kinda by necessity but Penn State uh, they've they've done a good job getting into Philadelphia Uh, credit to Pat Chambers there you know I've always liked his energy his passion for the program that's not an easy place to win I went to an IU Penn State game up there I want to say it was the Vonlay year. I think Indiana won. I think Etherington hit like a corner three kind of late in the game to, to kind of win that game and stave off disaster. And that place was like going to a funeral. I mean, it was there was absolutely no atmosphere in there. So, you know, overall, I, I like Penn State uh, t- to maybe move up a little bit this year. They've got, like I said, some some uh, talented guys coming in. I still think shooting's a problem. They don't have a great big man either, but, but I think overall – uh, they, they're they one of the programs that's, that significantly upgraded their talent level this offseason. They should be able to to compete and maybe get into that middle tier of the league.
0: Yeah, I think the couple things you referenced there at the end were a, a couple of things that stuck out to me. One is just size. They don't have a whole lot of guys that are over six They've got some decent wing guys, but they don't have a lot of height. And then, uh, you know, shooting, I, I think I wrote down they have one guy back that shot over 32% from three-point range last year. Um, so while the talent level I think gets better – You look at the efficiency numbers, there's a long way to go. But I think they're one that I'm curious to see how they do uh, in in a way similar, like I said, to what Northwestern uh, was last year. Uh, The last team I had in this group was Illinois. Um, So John Gross, uh, obviously on the hot seat, although I know he got a a commitment from a a big recruit that they had been trying to get uh, for next year. So maybe that buys him a little time. Uh, this feels a lot like – I feel like I've heard this argument made a lot for IU football over the years. Of They, they pretty much have everybody back. They lost Kendrick Nunn, who got, uh, you know, I think, suspended and then eventually transferred. But other than that, like everybody's back now. Um, it, it, this is where the IU football argument comes in. It would be like, well, the defense has almost everybody back. Well, if you have almost everybody back from a team that really wasn't very good, um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And that's kind of where – you know, I came down in Illinois, while it's great they have these guys back, what have they really done to say having them back is going to be a good thing? So, um, you know, does that even matter to you? And and I guess maybe more than that, they really didn't have an inside presence at all a year ago. Um, you know, Thorne got injured early in the season, and they really don't have a lot of size. Um, do you see that changing this year, and they can get to be a little more balanced versus, you know, being as perimeter oriented as they were last year?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of questions here because they're getting Mike Thorne back. Uh, he got, I think, a sixth year, I want to say, of eligibility. So he's going to be yeah, that's right. able to play. Um, when he played last year, he actually wasn't a bad player. He gives them a, a more traditional post presence um, rather than Maverick Morgan, who's really just a, kind of a big guy that likes to shoot on the perimeter um, to kind of force him to that spot. And they, they're also getting Laurent Black back after his, I think, suspension for the first four or six games next season. He's a you know another guy who was, kind of showed some promise his first year and then was injured, uh, I think, for the, the majority of last year, uh, sat out. So those are two potentially impactful front court pieces uh, that they bring back. And they also bring back Tracy Abrams, potentially, if he can stay healthy because he sat out the last two years with an injury And then uh, they lost Khalil Lewis, uh, who was a a point guard, but they brought in Tijon Lucas, who I think is the top 150 point guard recruit. So that should be an upgrade there. So overall, you know, the none loss hurts a little bit for me because I I thought he was one of their more dynamic, versatile playmakers. You know, if Jalen Coleman lands can make a a nice jump as far as, you know, being a a a good perimeter scorer, Malcolm Hill is still one of the best players in the Big Ten. I think there's some pieces here to be – better uh, for Illinois, and you mentioned the recruit that they got, Jeremiah Tillman, who's a borderline five-star big man uh, that Illinois got to commit for the uh, class of 2017. It's going to be a tough call uh, for Illinois. Uh, they're they're going to have, you know, I feel like maybe an NIT season, and at that point, is it is that going to be enough to save John Gross? Uh, with a recruit like that coming in, I feel like it might be, but, you know, they're, they're a team that, I kind of want to wait and see um, how these, how Thorne and Black come back from the the uh, respective injuries. If Tracy Abrams is healthy, if he is, they're a team that maybe could be a little bit of a surprise in my eyes.
0: Yeah, they're they're a team a lot like Minnesota I mentioned earlier, where I think the range of outcomes is pretty wide, probably among the widest in the league. Uh, as you as you look through that, I also um, I forget who it was last night that was tweeting out some things about Malcolm Hill playing really well. One of the camps that uh, is going on now. So. Um, You know, he's certainly got to watch.
2: Nike Skills Academy out in L.A.
0: Okay. Yeah, somebody was, I think it was Dan Wolken, maybe. I'm not sure who it was, but I I saw a few things about how well he was playing at least last night. So uh, a positive sign for them. So next is kind of, the the next year I feel like is kind of only Iowa to me. I I did lump Ohio State in. Um, Iowa's an odd team to me. I, I see them getting included in some, you know, way too early preseason bracketology. I've you know seen them mentioned, but when you really look at the roster, they have Peter Jock, uh, who's you know back. Dom mule played some. You know, Nicholas Bear played played a little bit, but it's really Peter Jock and a and a lot of new guys coming in. Nobody uh, outside of Tyler Cook overly overly highly rated um, when you look at from a recruiting standpoint. So they lost. You know, Utah Woodbury, Gasell, Clemens. Um, do you think they have the pieces to replace that? You know, to me, there's like two questions. One of them, do they have the pieces to replace those guys? The answer to that is probably no. Uh, maybe the better question is, like, is there enough there to kind of keep the wheels on? They're going to fall off, but, you know, how how big is that drop-off going to be from last year to this year?
2: I mean, the wheels didn't even stay on last year, and they had you know, four seniors. I mean, the, it was like you're, this is a team that, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, at one point you probably had on the one or two line of a bracketology and I don't, I don't like to
0: talk about that, but that may be that may be accurate at some point.
2: Well, you know, they they completely torpedoed, and I don't know if it was Fran McCaffrey, I don't know if it was the players, I don't know if it was a combination of the two things. But as you said, I mean, Peter Jocks are really their only notable returning player. Um, you're making a lot of assumptions on other guys replacing production to even think that they're going to sniff the tournament. You know, I had them ninth in my. Big Ten Power Rankings. If I were to redo them at this point, I may even put them a little bit further down because overall their, their upside to me just isn't. You you don't really know who the point guard's going to be. You don't have a great big man. Uh, you got Peter Jock. I mean, is Peter Jock going to go out and score 25 a game? I mean, none of these other guys have really proven that they can be um, reliable contributors uh, with more minutes at the Big Ten level. So Iowa to me has got a, a ton of question marks. They're a team that. You know, if if a guy like Ahmad Wagner kind of comes on and has a really good uh, season, could be a team that is decent in the Big Ten, but I also feel like they have a chance to uh, finish 10th or 11th. That's kind of how uh, I see them going at this point. Yeah, so... Ohio
0: State was who I had up next. Um, they've got their top six scorers back, so I think that's a positive. They had, I think, their Big Ten record was a little bit inflated last year based on how their schedule played out. I mean, when it really came down to it, they hadn't beaten, uh, they hadn't lost to many, if any, teams they, you know, shouldn't have lost to. But they also really hadn't beaten anybody either. So, um, you know, again, it's kind of that question of is it great to have this many guys back? Uh, you know, outside shooting is a concern. They don't have a ton of height on the roster, although you know the addition of uh, Derek Funderburk. Helps with that uh, a bit as a freshman. Um, but, you know, they had some pretty big issues last year in two point shooting and offensive rebounding. Um, without, you know, do you think Thunderbrook really helps that uh, all that much? Or, or, you know, how do you see them improving on their areas of weakness from last year? And, and is that enough to get them back in the tournament? I
2: would say no on getting back to the tournament unless, to me, kind of the X factor for them is Jay Sean Tate. You know, he was kind of so up and down, injured last year. He's kind of have to come back and have a big year. But but their front court, like you said, I mean Thunderberg is obviously going to get minutes from the get go. But they've got you know Trevor Thompson is their uh, primary big man. To me, there's a lot of I saw a lot of Amir Williams in him last year. I wasn't overly impressed. Uh, well, oh, you're uh,
0: you're going Rothstein on us now. So much Amir Williams and. <laughs>
2: That's not a – Rostin's usually complimenting guys. I'm, I'm putting somebody down when I compare them to Amir Williams. But, you know, to me it's just like Jaquan Lyle, too, is a talented player, but is he like a, a Big Ten level point guard that you want with the ball in your hands in a close half-court game? I'm going to argue no. Uh, for them, it's just a weird mix of players. I mean, you've still got Mark Loving around who, to me, had one of the worst – has some of the worst body language I've, I've seen out of any Big Ten player. Key debates. diop is another guy that they have who's long and can play the four, um, can score and rebound a little bit, but they've got a lot of question marks for me. They don't have a lot of depth, and I just don't really see them, like, you you know, the, the things that you talked about, um, them needing to improve on, I don't really see a clear path on how they're going to get better at either of those things.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing with Lyle that I, is I was, you know, looking through rosters and looking at some of those, I mean, you start talking about advanced stats, his usage rate was uh, extremely high. I think the highest on the team, but he was really inefficient. And it's one of the things, you know, how much does some of these, you know, the the, the best thing about freshmen is that they become sophomores has, has been said before, but it's, you know, kind of the question of how does he evolve year over year, kind of take some of the, the bad, inefficient parts out of his game and get better because, Anything like last year he's gonna have the ball in his hands a lot. Uh, it probably remains to be seen whether that ends up being a good thing for them in the long run.
2: Yeah, and he can't I mean he's not a good shooter. I mean he's never been a good shooter. And I don't necessarily think that's gonna be a thing that he worked on or improved a lot in the off season. I've heard he's in a little bit better shape, which should help him, but you know, they're they're, they're another team that just doesn't have to me a lot of, of great shooting. I mean they got Cam Williams, I think, still still sticking around there. But other than that, there's no, to, to me, I mean, Mark Loving can shoot a little bit, Bates, Diop, but, you know, shooting uh, rules, you know, at the elite levels of college basketball and Ohio State, just, they don't, to me, have, have kind of what, what they're going to need to to uh, move into that upper tier of the Big Ten.
1: All right, so speaking of that upper tier, we're not quite there yet, but let's move into Andy Bottom's official second tier of the Big Ten here. And let's talk about Maryland. I mean, just taking a look at them, their schedule is like super favorable. I mean, which is good for them. I mean, given the losses of Stone, Carter, Layman, and Solomon, and uh, Trimble, he's the only guy back who is over like five point four like points per game. And so I'm wondering, do you think that the pieces are there for um, him to bounce to bounce back with freshman Kevin Herder coming back and Demonte Dodd getting into like a bigger role this season?
2: Yeah, I'm actually buying Maryland as maybe being higher than the second tier um, in terms of the final standings of the, of the conference because of what you mentioned with the schedule. They've got a really favorable schedule. When I kind of looked at the top eight teams and projected uh, kind of the schedules for next season, they had the easiest. I like Trimble to bounce back. You know, I, there was something I didn't like last year about Suleiman. I don't know exactly what it was. It just kind of felt like a weird fit. You know, I felt like Trimble wasn't healthy. Either all the season, I think he kind of battled some nagging injuries. I like Kevin Ho- 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 Hoarder a lot. He's a you know top 50, top 60 kid that can really shoot. He's got some size. They added another point guard, Anthony Cowan, that can play some backup, maybe play a little bit next to Trimble. Um, and then don't forget they have Dion Wiley, who was pretty good as a freshman off the bench coming back from injury. They've got Jared Nickens, another guy that can stretch the floor and shoot threes. And then up front they've got um, DeMonte Dodd and Macau. I don't know how to uh, always mess up his last name, but I think
0: it's Sikovsky. There you
2: I, go. There you I, go. Well, that's
0: how I'm gonna say it. I don't know if that's how you do say it, but that's how I will say it.
2: Yeah. I, overall, I just think they've got a pretty talented roster. You know, I I, I wasn't necessarily a huge Diamond Stone fan either. I, I don't feel like he was necessarily a Guy that really cared too much. I, you know, I don't want to throw the guy under the bus, but you know, it was pretty much determined before he went to Maryland that it was a one-year stop for him. So he didn't really have a lot invested in, in seeing the program succeed. Um, so, you know, obviously Lehman's a loss, but I think they can kind of overcome uh, the losses of, of Suleiman and Layman. And you know, I, I think it was a mistake for Robert Carter obviously to go pro. They could have used him this year, but. Overall, I'm not really too down on Maryland for next year. I think they've got a chance to actually contend and be one of the top teams in the Big Ten with a favorable schedule. And you know, I, I am kind of buying a a bounce back season from Melo Trimble. It's interesting. You know, every year we go through this exercise. You know, me and Dylan Burkhardt of UM Hoops, we kind of try to rank our top 25 Big Ten players. And as I kind of was, I was look, looking through the list um, in preparation for that. Melo Trimble to me was one of the most fascinating ones because last year, you know, he would have easily been in my top three, but now I'm, you know, I'm I'm wondering, you know, with the opportunity he has this year at Maryland, is he a guy that I'm going to want to put up there again, uh, and kind of, you know, buy him as a stock uh, as a guy who could potentially bounce back.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he's one where there is a lot on his shoulders um, because there really isn't a lot of sure things coming back for sure. And one of the things that was talked about so much last year is why weren't they better uh, than what they were and the pieces they had just maybe didn't fit together as well as everybody thought they would with with having to try to play, you know, all three of Stone, Carter, and Lehman at the same time. Well, now you've kind of gone to the other extreme of that of you've got a lot of flexibility because it's not, you know, obvious who's going to uh, who's gonna be there. I think the big questions for me are, you know, up front, how does Dodd do in a, in a bigger role um, uh, they've got LG Gill um, coming in from uh, yeah. from Maryland okay. so he'll he'll help a little bit uh, in that regard as well um i think i said from maryland that's not where he's from um, but uh, the,
2: the, cane. He's from the he he from, transferred from Decane.
0: okay and so you know those things those things will be interesting i think uh, you know they'll they'll be still be pretty good on the perimeter it's just a matter of you know how how Trimble can bounce back, um, but maybe his role is a bit more clear this year and there are fewer guys that he feels like is the point guard. He has to, uh, he has to keep happy, and, and maybe that helps a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think there's a chemistry potential there for things to be better um, this year. I think it says something that some of those other guys left and he came back. It may tell you that he's... Got some closer friends on the team, maybe in Wiley and Nickens that are kind of came in with him that he wanted to play another year with. You know, obviously his NBA future was a little bit uncertain, but he's definitely a guy that could have probably got a D League invite or something similar to what Troy Williams got if he would have went. So, you know, I think he feels like he's got something to prove. He was the preseason Big Ten player of the year last year. Let's not forget, you know, how good he was as a freshman. Um, Really good at drawing fouls. So, you know, I'm maybe a little bit higher on Maryland than most, but with that favorable schedule, and, and I feel like a really good point guard, I, they've got a chance to me to contend in the league.
1: All right, so moving on to Michigan, guys. Um, you know, last season they got used to playing without Levert, so, I mean, that loss is going to be mitigated to, like, some extent, but the questions still surround the team, including, like, how much better can their three-point shooting get, and then whether or not Donald and Wagner can continue to progress and provide a presence on the front line. Alex, what do you think?
2: Yeah, Michigan's an interesting team for me because they they kind of, you know, obviously saved their season at IU's expense in the Big Ten tournament and then I think won, won, an, won one of the, uh, the the playing game, I think it was, in the NCAA tournament. I think they won one of those uh, the first four games and then actually lost to Notre Dame. So they were, um, to me, a bit of a disappointment last year, but most of that was based off the fact that they were never a complete team with Lavert being out, and then they kind of had to adjust to to him being on the sidelines. This year, you know, they they've got to have Derek Walton healthy. I feel like he's kind of has to be be the guy for them. Uh, they've they've got some nice perimeter guys. The Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman, Duncan Robinson, who was a really good uh, three point shooter uh, the first half of the season, then kind of faded off, and then you've also got. Um, who is who's uh, uh, Xavier Simpson, a top fifty guy that, that's coming in as a, uh, a point guard recruit. So uh, they've got they've got a nice uh, perimeter core. I think Mark Denell is one of the more underrated uh, guys uh, in the Big Ten as far as the front court goes. So they're they're a team that I'm looking at probably finishing somewhere there in that top six. Uh, they've got a tougher schedule though. Uh, looking at kind of who they play next year. I had it pulled up here. It's not loading anymore now. But 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 they're. Uh, they're right there near the top as far as the schedule difficulty goes. So it's going to be, uh, I think, an NCAA tournament team from Michigan, but they've got to um, really shore up their front court, as you mentioned, and then make sure Derek Walton's healthy because uh, they, they're going to need him to run the point.
0: Yeah, I think I think you hit on probably all the all the key points there. So we won't we won't linger on them too much. Um, so Purdue is who I had up next. This kind of starts the the top tier. Um, I think there are kind of three big questions, so I'll, I'll pitch these to you one at a time um, because I think it, it, for, things, for them, things pretty much boil down to, to these few questions. So the first is one we've asked about Purdue. Uh, it seems like for the past few years now is, is what happens at point guard uh, with them. You know, they got Spike Albrecht in the mix. Uh, Carson Edwards is, um, you know, really the lone uh, freshman they've got in their recruiting class. Uh, so how do they, you know, for as, as much as people didn't really love Johnny Hill there last year, and some of their, you know, stopgap solutions at point guard these last couple seasons. Um, how do you think that position shakes out for Purdue?
2: Well, they've got two probably better options with Edwards and, and Spike Albrecht if he's if he's healthy. I mean, the, the amazing thing to me about Purdue is they had AJ Hammonds for four years, didn't win an NCAA tournament game with him, and didn't really find a competent point guard in any of those four years to put on the court with him. That's pretty. Um, Unfortunate for, for if you're a Purdue fan uh, that that your program was unable to do that. That said, I feel like this might be their best chance to have a pretty solid point guard. Edwards comes in with pretty good credentials, you know uh, you know a top 100, top 150 ish type guy, and then you've got Spike Albrecht, who by all accounts ahead of their, I think they're taking a foreign trip to Spain, has been getting some pretty favorable uh, reviews of his health. So I think they've got a chance there um, at point guard to be. Better than what they have been, the but they don't even need to be great. There, they just need to be good to average, um, based on what they have on the, on the at the three, four, and five. They could potentially have a, a nice team.
0: So similar to what we talked about with you know how does uh, Jaquan Lyle progress from you know year one to year two? Uh, big question for Purdue is Kayla Swanigan. So some of the same comments you can make about Lyle. You, you know took some, uh, you know Swanigan at, at key times took some uh, questionable shots and. Uh, at times really seemed to to try to over-assert himself. Um, what do you look for from him uh, as a sophomore and, and kind of maturing after his first year in college?
2: Yeah, he's kind of become more efficient. I mean, he's, like you said, took some terrible shots, wasn't a great finisher. Um, I was looking kind of at the at the post-up numbers last year and that, and that posted earlier today that kind of focused on Thomas Bryant, but his numbers from an efficiency standpoint in the post were just not good. I mean, he was playing alongside A.J. Hammonds and Isaac Haas. How can you not get great, easy looks in that situation? So, to me, he's got to make better decisions and become a lot more efficient. I mean, he's going to land on some of these, like, preseason all-Big Ten first-team lists, and I'm not buying that at all based on what I saw last year. I, I just, to me he's Purdue's third best player right now in my mind. So, yeah, I think th- there was a lot made of him coming in as a McDonald's All-American, five-star recruit, had the Kentucky offer, but he just didn't really live up to the billing to me, uh, for me, last season.
0: All right, and then the third question is around uh, Isaac Haas. As you mentioned, you know, Hammonds is, is finally gone. Haas has put up great numbers the last couple of years, but in limited minutes, so he's obviously going to get the chance to play. A whole lot more uh, in this coming year. Do you think he can maintain his level of production and efficiency in an expanded role?
2: Yeah, I mean, if he can play 20 to 22 minutes a game, that's pretty much going to be all they're going to need out of him. Um, he's, you know, he's never played with Hammond, so it's not like he was benefiting at all for from being, you know, playing alongside another good post player. So uh, they're they're going to need him to do better job of staying out of foul trouble and essentially improving his conditioning because he's a guy I think has a professional future. Um, someday if, if he can just, you know, he's a really good finisher around the rim, good efficiency in the post, but he's got to be able to limit his fouling and, and prove that he's in better shape. So uh, I, I actually like Haas quite a bit. Probably would have him somewhere maybe in my top 15 Big Ten players going into the next season uh, just based on the fact that there's not too many dominant big men that you can throw the ball into uh, like him and, and pretty much uh, count on the fact that he's going to either score or get fouled in most situations.
0: All right, so given where we are in time, I'm going to hit one quick IU question here in a second. But uh, you know, one quick reminder before we start talking about next season, uh, for those uh, who don't know, our uh, our book about last season, Better Than Advertised, is available uh, on Amazon now and is already shipping, I believe. So uh, assemblycall.com/book uh, if you want to go check that out, uh, purchase that, relive uh, a great season last year before we get too far uh, into this upcoming season. But uh, so, Alex, question for IU. We talked a little bit about non-conference schedule. Let's talk about conference schedule. We talked about Maryland really being the easiest one by, I feel like, a pretty wide margin, quite honestly. Um, just give give everybody a, a quick idea of you know where you had IU's Big Ten schedule ranked uh, in relation to the other uh, the, the other top top teams.
2: Actually, I was just trying to pull that link back up um, to give myself a bit of a refresher here. Where where did I have them ranked? Do you have that? I up? think.
0: I think you had them in the middle of the pack. Uh, you had them fourth of the. I think you looked at eight. They were fourth out of eight, so they're right middle of the road.
2: Yeah, so not as favorable as uh, last season. Um, you know, the highlights for me of the schedule. You know, they go to. They go to Maryland, uh, they go, which is a pretty tough place to play. They go to Minnesota, which hasn't always been easy. Go go to Iowa, which they won there last year, but that's that's never easy. Um, the double plays to me you know, is, the, is the tough part. I mean, they've they've got Michigan, Purdue, and Wisconsin all twice. You know, you feel like if they can maybe go four and two in that stretch, that, that would be a, a pretty good job of those out of those six games. Um, and then the, the the home single plays are, are you know it's it's nice to not have to go to Michigan State, but like you said, I had them right in the middle of the pack, not as favorable schedule as last year, um, so a little bit tougher, but definitely not nearly the toughest schedule in the league and kind of one thing kind of looking back at last year's post when I did the the most favorable schedules I had Indiana as the second easiest last year Michigan State was actually the easiest um and when you kind of looked at the strength of schedule I think at the end of the season even on Ken Palm they ended up being the easiest so um you know that's one reason I'm kind of high on Maryland because you know I feel like now with this unbalanced schedule there's it, it, it makes a huge deal, especially if the game's gonna if the conference is gonna be decided by one game. Um, I don't feel like this year there's necessarily gonna be a dominant team in the Big Ten, so I, th- I feel like this this thing is gonna be decided maybe a little bit um, by the schedule. So if a and it all to to kind of be in the middle of the pack, I, th- I feel like it still gives them a chance to uh, to win the league.
0: Yeah, you you touched on Maryland. I, I meant to bring this up when we had Maryland. So if we figure the top six teams that I have, Maryland is one of those. So, you know, the other five teams in that top six, they play each of them only once, um, with three of those games at home and two on the road. So when we talk about, you know, being drastically easier than everybody else, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about.
1: All right, so guys, let's move on to Wisconsin. I mean, last season they went to the Sweet 16, and two years before that, I believe they both went to the Elite 8 both of those years. So this season, they're returning all but six points, five rebounds, and one block from last year's team, including all the assist and steals are coming back. So my question is for you what can go wrong with so much talent on this roster, and do you see them
2: making their fifth Sweet 16 in six years? Andy, are we really gonna let him off the hook with, by saying that Wisconsin went to the elite eight two years ago when they did the deed in the final four beating Kentucky ending the, the, uh, the unbeaten season two years ago yeah, so, that's, well, well, I don't think we can
0: I also have residual <laughs> yeah. I also have residual bitterness from that because I could have won a decent amount of money in a tournament pool had they won the national championship so while they did help in that regard I'll uh, I'll never forgive them for not winning the, winning the title. But yeah, I, yeah, fair. we can't we can't let that go. We can't let that go and for sure. You, you would have fair, you, you
2: would you, you would have won money if Wisconsin would have won? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. I had uh, I had picked them in my in my pool. So in addition to them, it, it was it, it felt wrong to have to put myself in a position
2: to root for them. But
0: uh, I was just making been...
2: sure. I was just making sure that you weren't saying that you had money on Kentucky winning because <laughs> in that case I would have gladly written you a check. That <laughs> no, dear God, no, that would never happen. That okay. would never happen. All right, all right, on, on oh, to the season, Alex. On to the season. Wisconsin, okay, quickly. They've got everyone back of note. Um, Nigel Hayes is going to have to be better than he was last year because he was very inefficient um, based on his usage. But to me, they're the clear-cut favorite um, potentially. Um you know, it's it's hard to say. I, I think they're right now. They're my favorite to win the league. I've I've kind of flip flopped on this. I've liked Michigan State. I've liked Wisconsin, but right now I'd say Wisconsin's the favorite to win the league based on what they have uh, coming back. I'll keep it brief.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I kind of had the same debate as you just mentioned with uh, with the two of them because they and Michigan State, who we'll get to in a second, it's like they're they're polar opposites in some regard. You know, Michigan State is going to rely so much on newcomers, albeit ones who are really highly regarded. Uh, and, and one of the better recruiting classes that Izzo has probably ever had, uh, but at the same time we kind of know what you're going to get from Wisconsin and a team you know full of guys who who played last year played well. Um, you know the only question I, I really had and I don't know that any of us will be able to answer this is just you know what role some of the emotion uh, of last season you know Bo Ryan leaving what role did that play uh, in turning around? But. Um, you know, I think uh, it's it's hard to bet against them based on the track record, based on the guys they have coming back, where at least they're more known commodities than there are for Michigan State. So I tend to tend to fall in the same camp where it feels like they're the favorite, but uh, I guess it's as good a segue as any to Michigan State. Uh, so they are, you know, by a lot of people... If you look at you know preseason top twenty fives and, and things like that, they have IU, Wisconsin, and and pretty pretty closely bunched together with Michigan State and Wisconsin tending to be, you know, the top there. Um, as I mentioned, they're going to be heavily reliant on freshmen. I know two of the two of your your five, you know, newcomers to watch in the Big Ten were from there. Um, they've got you know top five, I think maybe even top three recruiting class, but they lost a ton um, for the top five scorers, top three rebounders. Um, And so the only upperclassmen that are really around who played a major role is, you know, Aaron Harris. Question, you know, he was good in a a complimentary role next year. Can he really, you know, can he do more than that? They've got UNLV transfer Ben Carter, uh, who's kind of a do-it-all, glue-type guy. Um, But how do you, I I guess the question there is, you know, how do you see all these pieces fitting together there with newcomers who are certainly going to, you know, have the talent to, to warrant playing a lot of minutes, um, but also mixing in with a handful of veteran guys who haven't had, you know, didn't have a ton of statistical success last year but at least have been in the program. Like, how does that all come together in your mind? It, it's certainly easy to say with Tom Izzo you're going to trust him no matter what, but, you know, how do you see that all, you know, coming together for them?
2: Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's going to be pretty from day one, but I think by the end of the season it's going to be a pretty nice finished product. Uh, you know, Josh Langford's a really good point guard, slash, well, actually a combo guard, can play either spot. Really good shooter. And then Miles Bridges is just an elite wing player that can score, might be their best player from day one, could be a first-team all-Big Ten player as a freshman. That's how good he is. I've seen him a lot in the AU circuit. The other thing, you know, you touched on most of the of the pertinent points of Michigan State, but one other thing to watch is they're still in the mix for Andrew White. Uh, they've got uh, – they're one of the finalists, I believe, for him. So if he ends up going to Michigan State, I think that – gives them a veteran kind of on the wing uh, that can score, just another scoring option. But it's going to take some time with Michigan State. We've seen in years past where you know, Izzo's kind of had to uh, break a team down and then build it back up uh, by the end of the season. And I think with some of these freshmen, he's going to have to kind of do that a little bit. And But by the end of the year, uh, they'll, they'll uh, I feel like, have a chance to uh, – You know, be a Sweet 16, Elite 8 type team, maybe a Final Four team. Uh, It's just so hard to say, given kind of what happened last year with them in the tournament. Everyone thought they were going to win it all, and then they kind of just crumbled there in the first round. But overall, you know, they're bringing in four top 40 recruits, have a solid uh, returning uh, core of of, uh, rotation players back, and then the potential of Andrew White plus Izzo I think gives them a chance to have a, a pretty nice upside.
0: All right. Well, we made it through everybody. Probably not as much uh, Rutgers talk as we'd all hoped, but we got it in in about an hour, so uh, you know that's that's a positive. Um, Alex, just real quick, you know what? Do you, what are you have coming up next uh, on the site as you kind of move your way through the off season?
2: Well, I got vacation coming up in a couple weeks, so no, I just couldn't. <laughs> um, um, I, uh, you know, like I said, we'll be doing the top twenty-five Big Ten players at some point here soon. Just started to work on that. Um, that's always fun. Uh, to look back after the season at the ones we screwed up completely. Um, and then we'll, you know, kind of dig into a lot of the preseason content here not too not too long from now. Uh, in September, we'll kind of go through the all the Big Ten teams one by one, do the IU player profiles, and before you know it, Hoosier Hysteria will be uh, here. Hopefully you guys can uh, make it down this year to another game. And uh, we can do another meetup. I think that'd be a lot of fun. So, looking forward to another season. Uh, enjoy your guys's show your coverage. And uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: All right, thanks a lot for uh, thanks a lot for coming. We are definitely planning another meetup next year. Uh, I know I'm. I'm looking forward to it. I had a really good time uh, meeting everybody. So we'll definitely uh, plan the the second annual uh, assembly call meetup for sure at some point this season. So uh, that'll do it for us. Really, not not much. Uh, not much to wrap up with. I checked one last time. No uh, no baby updates from Jared. So nothing to to pass along in that regard. But uh, definitely look forward to having him back here in a couple weeks. Back in the in the host chairs. As we as we work our way through the off season. But uh, good to get together with everybody with uh, Alex, you, and Will and. Talk some early look at Big Ten basketball next season. I'm uh, sadly starting to put together some some at least thoughts around bracketology and some of these smaller conferences. So uh, I think like most Hoosier fans, uh, you know, I've still got the itch to uh, to see some basketball and and can't wait for Hoosier hysteria in, in the season to start. So uh, with that, we'll wrap things up. Thanks again to Alex for coming on. Thanks to Will uh, for joining us tonight. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another edition of the Assembly Call. Thanks, everybody.
1: Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 P5 Smart Bed is only $17.99. Save $600. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com.
0: With the powerful combination of Michelin X1 tires and the Michelin Energy Guard
1: aerodynamic solution on your truck, you can save 17 gallons every 1,000 miles. Go to business.michelinman.com slash fuel saver for details. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian?
0: Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.